So, if you would, turn to 1 Peter as we continue our series in this very profound letter. As small as it is, it still has much, much to say to us because it is the Word of God speaking to us. This morning, we are coming to the second half of Peter's pastoral letter. And in the first part of his letter, Peter, Peter provides for us the theological groundwork of all that the gospel has done for us. And now, and now as we begin this morning, he moves into the practical realities of what the gospel demands of us as we make our way in this world. So, so we've learned in, in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 all that, that Christ has done for us in our salvation, the, the theological groundwork of that. And, and, and why we're able to walk through this world. And now, now he's telling us, okay, now, now that you know where you stand in Christ, now that you have these foundations, that you are rooted and grounded in the saving work of Jesus Christ, okay, let's talk about what that looks like practically. Let's talk about what that looks like, these practical realities. So look with me in chapter 2. In verse 11, this is the word of God. On behalf of God, Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Father, this is you speaking and we we humbly Submit ourselves to you this morning and to these words that you speak to us. Lord, we are in need of your Spirit's work to be done this morning in each one of us. And so, Lord, we ask, knowing that you are present, that you would do the work and that you would transform us, and that you would help us to begin whatever process of transformation. May we have faith as we listen to you speak this morning. And do all these things, Lord, that we might do what we were created for, which is to glorify your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, Peter, in his letter, repeatedly tells us that as Christians, we do not have a a home in this world. And so in his letter, he he reorients his readers thinking about about who they are and how they're to to live in this world. And and their experience is this, their experience is that, that they don't have a home. In this world, they do not have a home. And, they, and that we're never going to feel at home in this world, but we're going to feel like outcasts. We're going to live as outcasts because we, we live 
for believing and obeying biblical truth. And so that's going to create a tension in our lives. And Peter's point that we, we do not belong here, he, he calls us in the beginning, he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now in chapter 1, he began his letter to those who are elect exiles. Peter's point is we, we don't belong here. We are sojourners. We're, we're making our way through this world. We're exiles. We are, we are not in our home country. We're, we're not where we belong. But before he describes what life is like for a sojourner and an exile, he, he opens this, this passage with this one word. He says, beloved. Those who, who are beloved. Those, those who are loved by him. But more importantly, more importantly, those who are loved by God. Those who have been saved by God. And those who have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Beloved is their true spiritual identity in Christ. It is your spiritual identity in Christ. Before you're a sojourner and an exile, you are God's beloved. You, are, you have been loved by him. Hence, you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are loved by him. Hence, you are no longer a part of this world. And you are a sojourner and you are an exile. And that is your spiritual identity. And it is on the basis of God's love, this love, that Peter says this in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles, I urge you to pursue a holy life, to live a a life that is honorable before God in a very difficult world. Peter, Peter does does not in any way cast aside the idea that, oh, this is just an easy life. He understands this is a hard life. And so Peter writes this exhortation exhortation to to us as believers, to these readers here in Asia Minor who are are facing persecution and facing ridicule and, and mockery, who are being reviled. He is saying to them, listen, Even in the midst of the world you live in, you can live a life worthy of the gospel. You can. And so he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. As as Peter says, we are are exiles. This this passage is is just a repetition to remind you, listen, you, you do not belong here. Yes, you you might own a home. You rent a home, you, you live in a dwelling, and you work here, and you eat here, and you recreate here, and you fellowship here, and you, you drive around here. Who, who wants to live around here after driving around here? Yes, you, you, you live in this place, but you are not at home in this place. We don't belong here because the way of life that is being offered to us in this world is typically, most often, in direct opposition to the life that we have been called to live in Jesus Christ. And so by identifying us as as sojourners and exiles, Peter, Peter is saying, listen, our status in this world is one of being an alien. 
So aliens do exist. <laughs> you, you, are, you are the UFOs of the culture. And, 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 and because, and, and you have to understand, as we are alienated from this culture, this culture is alienated from God. And, and because of these two alienated groups, it creates that tension and alienation that we experience with those who are not believers. And our culture, our culture, as, as, as Peter has, has made it clear, our, our culture is opposed to us. They just don't ignore us anymore. Our culture is opposed to us. Peter is writing to these people in Asia Minor, but he's writing to you as well because Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And these words written 2,000 years ago, these words are as relevant today as they've ever been. Just this week, Seeing, seeing in, and this is in, in Great Britain, and I'm using Great Britain because it, it happens enough here, but a seasoned British doctor lost his government job as a medical assessor after serving more than 30 years because he refused to renounce his Christian belief that gender is determined at birth. A leading actress in the UK was told to choose between her career or her faith after a social media post that she put on which questioned homosexuality. My friends, that's just, that's just a snippet of what is happening in our day and age. And so Peter writes, he says, look, in the midst of all of this, you, you've, you've been called to something. You've been, you've been saved out of darkness, out of that darkness and into Christ's marvelous light. And so, so how do you live? How do you live? Think how often you, you feel uneasy in your own culture. Sometimes in your own family gatherings. We read something about the newest trends and, and we find ourselves, and we find ourselves perplexed and amazed. Do they really believe this stuff? Yeah. They do. We, we even see those who, who profess Christ adopt a cultural norm that is acceptable to them that has nothing to do with the truth of God's word. And we say, do they really believe that stuff? We're stunned by that. Why, why, would, why would a Christian, a professing Christian, approve that and, and approve it? They do. Simply stated, there are many ways we do not fit in. But in this passage, Peter is not apologetic and saying, listen, you just, you just got to remove yourself from this world. You just need to step aside. Uh, but his exhortation is to show us how to live in this world. Because, because, brothers and sisters, we now live in a kingdom that is very different and has very distinct kingdom values that place us in direct opposition to the world's values. And so Peter is, is encouraging us. He's strengthening us. He's calling us to say, look, look, even in the midst of all of this, you can do this. Because you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. What we are to value, Peter says, is not what this world offers, but what is eternal. 
That's, that's what we value. All that he describes in chapter 1 as elect exiles, born-again believers. We are inheritors of God's grace and promises as those who, will, who have and will obtain the salvation of our souls. Those who, who love God even now when we don't see him. Those who, whose faith is being tested by fire but is being proven as ge- more genuine than gold. That we are a, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a description of what it means to be the beloved of God. And so Peter sets all of this up. Listen, one of the songs that I thought we, saw, we sang on Sunday morning, but I happened to have it on my, on my phone, so I listened to it all the time. And I went to Deb and I said, I want to play this song at the end of, of my message because we sing it all the time. And Deb says, we've never sang that song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, what church have I been attending on Sunday morning? (laughs) Uh, But it's a great song. The, the, the name of the song is by, it's by Keith and Kristen Getty. It's called The Lord is My Salvation. And, and I, want, I want you to hear this because this, this is what God has done for you. The, the opening verse says this, the grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on this solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. That, that is what God has done for us. That, that's what puts the gospel in our lives on full display. And that's what Peter is actually saying here. And that's really the main idea of this passage. As God's beloved, whose, whose hope is fully set on the grace of God, we must now walk in a manner that puts on full display the grace of God. So two, two points this morning that Peter makes from this passage. The first one is this, wage war, wage war. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of, your fle- of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Wage war, Peter says, by abstaining from sinful passions. You want to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel? You want to walk in a manner that puts the gospel on full display? Abstain and wage war back. Now, the definition of abstain is to keep oneself from doing, to forbear or refrain, especially from what gratifies the passions or appetites. Well said what gratifies the passions or appetites. And we know, we know what that's like, passions and appetites. When I was growing up, I love hot dogs. I do, I love hot dogs. And, and my mom would make this dish. It was called the hot dog casserole. And it was this big, big dish of, of baked beans and some pineapple and some green pepper and some bacon and hot dogs. I mean, tons of hot dogs. And it would cook on the stove. Usually it was a Saturday night, Saturday night dinner. It'd cook on the stove all afternoon. And I'd go and I'd pick the hot dogs out all during the day. <laughs> and I'd sneak into the kitchen and I'd grab three or four hot dogs and I'd eat them. And I'd keep I keep dipping in there. And literally, one Saturday night we got to dinner and there was not a hot dog left in the bean. <laughs> ca- 
casserole. My appetite, my inability to abstain got me in great trouble with my father who also loved hot dogs and did not get any hot dogs. And it turns out that the apple does not fall far from the tree because my middle daughter would do that with the chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. And my son would go get ice cream and he would open it up and there would not be a chocolate chip cookie dough chunk at all. It would just be plain vanilla ice cream. Abstain, Peter says. Stop. Do not. Peter's command to abstain implies that these inward desires are not uncontrollable. That we can control our inward desires. I could have controlled my hot dog raid, but I did not. I chose not to because it was waging a powerful war within my soul. And that's what Peter is after there. Listen, you have passions. You have appetites. You have desires. And when you were transformed by the grace of God, Paul tells us in Romans that sin, Romans 6, sin no longer has dominion over you. You're no longer a slave of sin. You've become a slave of Christ, a slave of righteousness. But... Although we're no longer under the power of sin and no longer under the penalty of sin, we still face the presence of indwelling sin. And that's what Peter's after here. These passions wage war against your soul. Marriage conflict. You, you are in the midst of a conflict with your spouse. And you know what you're about to say is going to throw gasoline on the fire of your conflict. But it feels so good to say it, so you say it anyway. That is the waging of war against your soul. That is what Peter is at. He says, abstain from these things. Now, this war, unless you've been in actual combat, you might have trouble grasping the idea of an enemy trying to destroy you. But that's exactly what is going on here. We have an enemy intent on destroying us. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, Peter writes. And so in the midst of our own passions, we have an enemy who is using those passions against us to tempt us, and there is a war raging on within us. And as people marked by the grace of God, we must refrain from our old way of living. And Peter says we do this by abstaining from the impulses and desires that, that come from within the desires and the passions of, of the, the flesh. And this is just a repeat of the exhortation he gave us in, in chapter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Verse 14 of chapter 1. What are, what are the passions of the flesh mentioned here? Well, one of them is we see that at the beginning of chapter 2. Peter writes, put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That, those, are, those are passions of the flesh in four, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
So, and he goes on to say, for the time that is, that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So he's comparing them to the Gentiles. He's saying, listen, you used to do this. When you were, and most of the, the readers here are Gentiles. Um, I'm probably the only Jew in the group here. So most of you are Gentiles. Um, so he's writing to you and he's saying, listen, with respect to this, he says, listen, what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. But he doesn't stop there. He, these aren't the only passions we fight. It's not just about sensual or sexual or physical desires that are the passions we fight against in in. In Galatians 5, Paul, Paul writes this in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And later on, Paul thinks, he says things like, oh, and, and another, disobedience to parents. Anger, selfishness, pride. Peter urges these believers, wage war back. Wage war back against these passions and desires. And listen, we, we were created by God as emotional people and those emotions are are god created it's it's the choice we make whether they they lean towards being evil or they lean towards being godly wage war back against these passions that that want to keep you tethered to this world and that's exactly what giving into these passions will do. It will keep you tethered to this world and the culture of this world and the way this world lives and the way this world views God. Wage war back. A world which we're no longer citizens but sojourners and exiles who do not belong here. We wage war back. And Peter's appeal is, beloved, I urge you, abstain, abstain, because giving into these passions will stain your soul and bring a reproach to God's name. Now, understand, the waging of this war is not, in a sense, hand-to-hand combat. Um, it's really, it's, it's, it's an army of of soldiers engaged in constant warfare, the, the, soul, the passion, the army of passions that's, that's aiming to capture your heart so that, that you're useless in displaying gospel grace. One commentator said this, he said, the pilgrim of God, as we see him, carries about a battlefield inside his own personality. And so we must fight against the army of both physical and mental passions and bad moods and evil ambitions and unruly emotions and all that we saw in Galatians 5. Um, because, listen, abstaining is where our, it's what our identity is rooted in because as 
Peter wrote earlier, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, when, when you were not a people, you, you did not abstain. But now you are a people. And now you can't abstain because you've been freed by the blood of Christ. You've been set free because he, he took your, your death, he took your sin upon himself that you might be freed from the power and penalty of sin. And ultimately, one day, as we saw in chapter 1, the presence of sin where we will be in the presence of God, we will inherit all that God has promised us. So we must be ready to fight against this army because we are, we are no longer brothers and sisters. We're no longer people of unchecked passions. We are, we are people who, as Galatians 5 tells us, we, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fr- is self-control. That we can practice self-control. Because if we don't wage war, we're going to run headlong into fulfilling these passions and, and, and show that we've forgotten We've forgotten what is much greater than the earthly pleasures offered to us, which is the grace of God. Putting the gospel's grace on display, though, isn't only about not doing something. Peter just doesn't go from verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. And then he goes on to this list of other things. No, no, no. He, he says, okay, let's, let's, let's balance this out. Our, our lives would be one that show, that show the face of Christ in the life that we live, in the honorable conduct. In verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And so that's point two. Point one is wage war by abstaining. Point two is walk honorably among the Gentiles by keeping your conduct holy and doing good works. Peter's counsel is very practical. Do good works among the Gentiles. And and we see the idea of doing good works throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. Uh, Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Titus 2.7 and 2.14, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And then he goes on, who talking about Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, those of us who are zealous for good works. And then in 1 Peter, in, in 1.15, Peter talks about, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, doing good works. And in, in 2.15, he goes on again, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And on and on in First Peter, all these passages, passages describe this, this honorable life of, of good works that God uses, God uses in our lives to glorify himself. What are the, the good works, the good deeds that Peter is talking about? Matthew chapter 25 provides us with just an insight from the Lord of what good works look like. Starting in verse 34, 
the Lord speaks. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And and when would we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and and clothe you? And when when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus earlier said in Matthew, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. We were created for God's glory. We were created to put God's salvation vividly on display. The gospel grace that is in our lives simply by good works. Our our salvation shows what God's great mercy and his loving kindness and forgiveness and transforming power does to a person who is born again says, oh, wait a minute, they, they are different. Our, our good works exhibit the gospel. Our lives say this is what the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ means in a person. This is what it means to no longer be a slave to sin, but alive to Christ. This is what it means to be called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. That's what it means. Keep your conduct honorable. How you walk when no one else is around and how you walk among the Gentiles. If we live honorable lives in the face of accusations and slander and persecution, Peter says in, later in chapter 3, he says, you're going to be rewarded for that. In ver- verse 13, he says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. But make no mistake, more often than not, our good deeds will go unnoticed and slandered. I mean, Peter says it right here. Keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers. Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, wrote that Christians were loathed for their vices. (laughs) Loathed for their vices. Nero blamed Christians for burning the burning of Rome. 
They were accused, Christians were accused of abomination such as cannibalism because they celebrated the Lord's Supper. They ate the body and blood of Christ. So they were accused of cannibalism. They were seen as superstitious. They were hated for not worshiping the many gods of the pagan culture that they were in and particularly for not worshiping the, the Caesar of the day, which was Nero. But Peter says, so what? That's what he said in, in verse uh, 17 here. He, he says, listen, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Okay. Because here's, here's what Peter goes on to say in verse 12. He says, keep your, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, okay, so you, as evildoers, so, so when, not if, when they, they will speak against you, they're going to say something about you. They're going to they're gonna mock what you stand for. They're going to mock what you say. They're going to mock what you believe in. They're going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. Okay, so what, what do we do? Well, we, we keep our conduct honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Eventually, some will see the beauty of the gospel in our lives. Our honorable conduct may not stop the slander, but it will eventually silence the false accusations and lead some to faith in Christ. On the day of visitation, that day of visitation, um, some commentators think it's the, the final day. Um, I, I, I think... I would, I would agree with, with the majority of commentators who believe it's the day that God visits the unbeliever and regenerates them. It's the day of salvation. It's the day that we come to faith in Christ. And, and on that day of visitation, of course, you, you, you see you, you're coming out of darkness. You're coming into marvelous light and you see the Lord and you glorify God in heaven. And, and Peter is saying, yes, this is what honorable conduct leads to. It glorifies God in heaven and we see those who once reviled you now hugging you and saying brother or sister. On that day, they will glorify God. They will put their faith in him and it will happen because Peter says, we have lived for Christ and not for the pleasures of this world. Now, none of this is possible. None of this is possible without, without us first being saved by, by Jesus Christ. Without our salvation, we have no motivation or reason to abstain from sin. And in, until Jesus revealed himself to us, which was the day of visitation for us in, in the gospel, we were happy in our sinful life. We were happy and we were unaware of how destructive that life was. And how ultimately it was going to lead us to God's wrath and judgment. But Jesus took our wrath and judgment upon himself by dying on the cross for our sins. And he showed us that sin, rather than making us happy, only brings us heartache and anguish and ultimately death. And now, and now because of Christ's saving work, we are born again to a new life. Blessed be the God and Father, Peter writes in, in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is what we have been born again to. Not only can we now say no to sinful passions, we can, by God's grace, say yes to honorable, holy conduct, pursuing a life that does not seek its own glory, but seeks God's glory. The glory of the one who died for our sins, that we, that we, that we might be witnesses to a world that is dying, that is hopeless, that is joyless, and that is lifeless. Listen, God is working in us and through us. We are His people. We are his royal priesthood. We are his holy nation. We are, we are people who, who have, there's, there's something different about us. So let's be different. So what is the application of First Peter? Well, in verse 13 of chapter one, Peter writes, therefore, preparing your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Until that day, the revelation of Christ in that verse simply means the, the day Christ returns. Until that day, Peter says, prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace, the gospel grace that has changed your life. From that hope and that grace, we abstain from following the passions of our flesh and we do good works. And, and I understand. I mean, there are times when in the doing of good works just seems like it just, it has no impact. Yeah, I've been, I've been reaching out to this neighbor for 15 years and it's just not going anywhere. And, and yeah, I've done all these good works. What's the point? It does, it, does, it really, does it really matter? Oh, it really does matter. It really does matter. And, and just to encourage you, Paul writes in Ephesians 6, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Dear friends, we have hope because of God's grace. And we have purpose because of God's grace. And that purpose is God's glory, that he would be honored in the way we live in this world. Now, towards the end of that song that the Gettys sang, the Lord is my salvation, um, they make this statement, our debt is paid and the victory is won. The Lord is my salvation. 
That's why we can do what we can do. That's why we can do this. That's why we can follow this exhortation from our friend Peter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, that doesn't mean you're relieved from keeping your conduct among these folks. Uh, you know, oh, I don't have to keep it. It only says Gentiles. Um, no, no, no. It's, it's every Everybody, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and what we live for, brothers and sisters, glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, our, our lives as Christians, it's, it's a contrast. We are hated by the world and we are loved by God. Quite, quite a contrast. Like, like Israel, I mean, we're, we too are on an exodus journey. We're, we're in a wilderness as harsh as the one that they wandered through. Now their promise, their promised land was temporary. But ours, my friends, is eternal. And one day, we will one day inherit all the wonders that belong to us in the life and the world to come. Peter writes that we have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So until that day, until that last time, let us put the gospel on full display by the way we abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep our conduct honorable, that we might bring glory to God. And now, join with me as I pray. In Philippians 1, 3 through 6, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. And this is... This is me speaking to you using Paul's words. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for every member of Grace Church Thank you that they are wonderful partners in the gospel who give the pastoral team great joy and more importantly, who give you great joy and honor by the way they follow after you. Lord, thank you, Lord, for making them partners in the gospel and I pray that you would give them boldness in sharing your gospel and that you would give them fruitfulness in seeing others come to faith because of that gospel. I pray that the sharing of the gospel will be one of, the, of power as they witness for your sake and for your name. I pray that the sanctifying work you began in each person here on the day they were saved would continue until you bring it to completion at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those among us who struggle with doubt and, and lacking assurance that you would through your word assure them this morning and, and through your, your love and patience today make them, make them aware of your love. I pray for those who face agonizing trials of, that are painful and, and chronic illness. Please make them aware how you are, bringing, you are bringing their faith to completion even as they feel incapable of serving in your kingdom. 
May they feel your pleasure as they pray. May they know your grace as they seek to serve in some small way. Lord, I pray this morning for the many moms who are pregnant as they will soon add another child to their family. Please watch over them and their babies and please bring them safely into this life. Lord, I pray for all the children in Grace Church that they would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Protect these children from the evil one, from the many temptations that come their way. And please give them ears to hear and eyes to see the gospel on the day that you visit them. And I pray this morning, Father, for our dear brothers, Abe and Garrett and Jeff Park, as they serve our community as police officers and risk their lives to keep us safe. Lord, please protect them. Watch over them. And may they in their service be a witness for Christ, even against the community that reviles them. May they, may they display gospel grace. And finally, Lord, I pray this morning for Grace Church. We are so grateful that you've called us together in this community. Make us into the church you desire, Lord. Help us as we endeavor to live in a manner worthy of the gospel that saved us. And Lord, as we leave this place today, help us by your spirit to have a greater love for you, a greater awareness of your presence throughout our week. And may we experience your transforming grace for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.